welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am senior editor Ashley Giordano and I'm here in the field at the BC Overland Rally in Merritt, British Columbia with a very special guest, Emily Miller, founder of the Rebel Rally. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I know we've alluded to the Rebel Rally in some other podcast episodes. Scott interviewed Rochelle Croft and Nina Barlow and we did another podcast after the most recent Rebel Rally but I am so stoked to have you here to give us a more intimate look at the Rebel and yourself and why you founded it and what it's all about. So I had fun watching the last one. I think Matt Scott, you and Matt had just finished it and we're talking to Scott. It's really fun to be on the other side watching it, hearing hearing what you had to say. Oh, nice. That's awesome. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. You want to come back, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) It was good because I think Matt and I were both like, there are some questions that we were asking each other on that podcast. And we're like, it would be nice to have Emily here. I heard that a couple of times. (laughs) Yeah. So now we're here. So it's great. But maybe we'll dive first into, for those who don't know what the Rebel Rally is, maybe you can explain what it is. Where does it take place? What does it involve? The Rebel Rally is the longest competitive off-road rally in the United States. And it just so happens to be for women. It Actually, this year, it's going to start back in Lake Tahoe. Last year, we, we were at the Hoover Dam. Goes through Nevada, California. We've touched Arizona. Takes place on primarily public land. It is 10 days. It's eight days of scored competition. It's no GPS, no cell phones, just maps that we make. You don't even bring your own maps. You just show up with a compass and, you know, some pencils and some patience and a lot of electrolytes. Eight days of literally using traditional navigation skills and then also traditional rally skills, which is using a road book. It is long, it's hard, it's hot, it's cold, it's high elevations, low elevations, every type of terrain. But interestingly, it's in a stock manufacturer vehicle. It's not in a race car. I've always said the vehicles in your driveway are more capable than you think. And so it's a team of two, driver and navigator. You can switch roles and your car. That's it. You're on your own. What type of vehicles are usually rallied in? Well, we have two classes. We have four by four and what we call X-Cross because the word crossover, I don't think sounds cool enough for (laughs) some of these cars because they're great cars. And so what's typical are, let's say, Jeep, like Jeep Rubik. Cons, Toyota, Tacomas, Forerunners, Gladiators, Land Rovers. We have in the X-Cross class, we have everything from Porsches, Subarus, Mitsubishi, Kias, pretty wide variety of cars, but they're really unmodified vehicles or just minimally modified vehicles. And then we also have electric vehicles. So we started that three years ago now, and we launched it with the 
Rivian, the R1T, which was really cool. Last year we had, and also the Volkswagen ID4. And then this year we have two Rivians returning and possibly some surprise EVs. Why was it important to you to highlight the stock vehicle in the rally? I raced cars for a guy named Rod Hall, who's just a legend in off-road racing and also in four by fours. And he really promoted stock manufacturer vehicles. He was really a champion of these stable platforms that all this research has been done on them. All this great engineering has gone into them. He always said, you know, the mark of a great driver is that you can pilot a stock manufacturer vehicle without breaking it. And you need to do that first. And so I really felt that that's important. Also, not everybody wants to or even can afford to support a race truck. Race trucks are really expensive. They're really temperamental. It's constant work in progress. The vehicles that we have are already so great. So I really wanted it to be for stock manufacturer vehicles. I also wanted women to feel like they could participate. That they didn't have to, you know, they could do this incredible journey and they could be part of it, but not feel like they had to go spend, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars on a racetrack. You know, people drive the vehicle that, you know, they drive to work every day in the rally and then they drive it home, hopefully if they drive it well. But yeah, I think it's really important because uh, they're so good, you know, and they're so capable. Yeah. And you know that really well because of your background as a racer and a rallier. And you were the first solo woman to complete the Vegas Torino race. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, I was the first woman to solo that race. And then I did it again when it was a three-day rally. And that was awesome. Uh, I really like longer competitions. You know, short ones are great, but really like pushing yourself over day after day is really, I think, kind of what I was made for. And it also... It's like a strategy. Rod had a statement. He said, you know, you want to win as slowly as you can. You still want to win, but as slowly as you can. And it's true. So it's kind of like this chess game of strategy, you know, over long distance races. Right. You saw that in Baja 1000 wins and multiple podium finishes. And you participated in some rallies in Morocco as well. What is it on those long distance rallies or races? Like, where do you get the motivation to push beyond what you think you're capable of? Because I see that with you in different forms, like on the rally or racing or rallying. Like, where does that come from? How do you beat the fatigue and go into that like next phase of push? You know, I think it's because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you know that there's a stopping point. So I say like, you can do anything for 10 days. You know, you can do anything for 14 days. You know, I know it's not going to last forever. Now it might be different if if somebody said, okay, well, your rally is going to last like two years, you know, (laughs) but I do, I think you can do anything that you set your mind to. I also, I'm pretty competitive person, but I'm competitive with myself. I really like to dig down deep, examine the task at hand and and I always feel like that competition is with, within myself. I need to do the best job I can until the very last second. You know, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe from my mom, you know, when I was a kid, she taught me how to play cards when I was about four. So she'd have somebody play against and she never let me win. And she just made me keep playing. Yeah, I think um, it's just determination. You know, I I hate to quit. I really hate to quit. So I don't know if that really answers. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. But yeah. you do, you have to dig down deep. I mean, the days are long. And 
But I think when you have a challenge and you have a competition, if you're a competitive person, you see the task at hand. So you don't give up or you don't stop until it's completed. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your childhood, if there were any indications or your teenage years as to what was going to happen next or in your future or this the rebel rally or teaching women to drive and all those things. I think there are just a number of things in my life that led me on the path. And also, I always feel like wherever a door has closed, a window has opened and I've gone through the window. You know, I'm more afraid to say no than to say yes to something. And I think that's something about the rebel. I think the women that you see who do the rebel are more afraid. They're kind of nervous to do it, but they're more afraid to not do it than to do it. When you initially were going to start the rebel rally, what were some examples of people saying no to you and you jumping through that window? I'm sure there are quite a few. Yeah, there were a lot. First, I called a race director that I've known for a long time. I used to race in a series, asked him to get involved, to be involved in the competition. And he said, no, way. He goes, because you'll never pull it off. You will never hold a long distance rally in America. Why? Permitting. Ah. Yeah. And I, I tried to explain, it's not a race for speed. And he said, I don't care. If you use the word rally, you will never pull this off. So I knew that we needed to educate land management agencies about what rally is because rally in other parts of the world is really popular, but not in America, really. They only think race for speed, you know, tearing up the landscape. You know, I knew that that wasn't the way it is. Another one, my course director, Jimmy Lewis, you know, Jimmy's a legend and a legend in the moto world and in the rally world. You know, Rod had gotten Parkinson's disease and he was helping me with the course and I knew that I needed somebody who was like Rod, who, you know, knew these trails and knew the backcountry because I couldn't do it by myself. So I approached Jimmy and I thought, there's no way he's going to say yes. No way. We had worked together on different events like King of the Motos. And and he said, Emily, there's no way you're going to be able to do this. But if you are able to do it, I want to be involved. I said, well, I'll give you a call. So I gave him a call and said, "Okay, we can do it. But yeah, that happened a lot. Doesn't happen really anymore. (laughs) But it really did happen a lot. And the good thing is, is I knew I I own a sports marketing company and I've produced a lot of really tough to pull off events. You know, I worked a lot with Red Bull, too, and they always do these crazy, great productions. You know, they come up with a, a crazy idea and then they make it happen. And that was so fun to be a part of. I knew that it wasn't illegal to do what we were doing. It was just going to be a lot of hard work. For anybody who knows me, I'm not afraid of working hard. And so, yeah, so we overcame that. How did you approach the land management crew to get this yeah. going? What we did the first year is we said, let's get routes that we know um, have been raced on before, have had events on before, and we can string them together into a long distance route. Because, you know, our routes are usually about 2,500 kilometers. You know, they're long distances. What I did is I started about three years early putting together the plan. And then I started 15 to 18 months prior to going and sitting down with land managers for the Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Forest Service, National Parks, and educating them about what this is, but also what it isn't. And we walked in with an, you know, like a 18-page operations plan, and we hadn't even planned the course. And saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's what it is. Here's our safety. Here's our communications. Here is how we are going to manage it. And every time they said, well, what about this? We had an answer. So fortunately, from doing producing big events, 
I knew what all the sticking points are. So I could go in early. We pre-anticipated. So what we did is we did a lot of legwork. I think that a lot of times land managers or land management agencies get a bad rap, but they have a lot of constituents to answer to. And not everybody wants vehicle recreation out on our trails, which is unfortunate. By doing that work early and we getting to know the land managers, we were able to build really good relationships. And so I feel really fortunate that a lot of the people in the land management agencies, that's how they get out and they check the trails or in vehicles. You know, they have to get out into these remote areas. We help them. We will call and say, hey, there are signs down. We'll drop pens. Here's a problem area that they might not know about because they have so many miles, you know, so many kilometers of trail and track to keep up with. We just see ourselves as a a good steward. We need to be a good steward and a good partner to the to the agencies. But it took a long time. Uh, we tried the first year to go down a really famous trail in Death Valley. And Death Valley said, no way. Because the last rally that had been there made a lot of promises and didn't keep them and caused a lot of damage. And so um, we had to prove ourselves. So we took four years till we could go into Death Valley. And then last year on our sixth year, we were able to do this trail. It takes patience. Yeah, that trust relationship yeah. is over time working with them for multiple years and proving yourselves and yes. um, committing to try tread lightly principles which I know that you're really passionate about yes. on the rally and off the rally as well we have a responsibility but we also can never let up we can never take it for granted you know we always have to stay in front of them and people turn over as well right and so we constantly have to go back to the agencies and kind of sometimes reintroduce ourselves so this event takes place in the southwest which is the perfect place for it. Scenery, roads, everything. It's beautiful. And the inspiration from it came from your rally experience in Morocco. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I would say it's like a combination of all my experiences because I love the West. I competed in the Rally des Gazelles in Morocco. And it was really interesting because we were the, you know, the only American team when we went over. It was conducted in French. It was really a cool experience. And I had been wanting to compete in the FIA World Championships of Cross Country Rally, but that's a really big undertaking. I had family members who live in Africa or who lived in Africa, and they had seen the end of the rally and they said, hey, you need to know about this. You should go do this. And it was at the time I was racing for Rod. And so he said, yeah, you should do it. And that'll be great experience for what you want to accomplish over there. Went and did it. It was similar in in length, which are what you'll find is the cross-country rallies are usually seven, eight, nine, ten-day events. So that's pretty typical. But it was really interesting. It was shortest distance. Literally, you had to drive a straight line over everything in your path. If there's a big rock, you have to just go just around it or go right over it. It was really different. We worked... I thought it was a really great experience and you didn't have to be a pro racer. You didn't have to have a race car. And it's very slow. You didn't need to know how to drive fast. We worked to bring a lot of American teams over there and then help them with their marketing. Really, it was pretty cool because we took a lot of teams that didn't come from a racing background and they did really well. Like Rochelle Croft, Rebecca Donaghy, the Hoens, you know, a lot of um, great people um, in the industry, but not, not necessarily... Um, from racing and some people not from the industry at all because driving and navigating your skills anyone you know they just need to take the time and learn like the really the great foundation of great skills and then we started um, the rebel and we actually put it six months off the gazelle 
So if you wanted to compete in both, it, the gazelle is a big undertaking. It's expensive. It's a long period of time. So we put the ra- our rally in the fall. And, but I wanted to do something in the United States because it's a big stretch to go from never having competed. It's expensive. It's long. You're in a foreign place. It's really cool to see this. You can rent. You can rent rent or you can ship your truck over, which means being without your truck for about four months. That's why renting is great. I wanted people also to have a rally in the U.S. because honestly, our terrain is the greatest. You know, I've been to a lot of countries. I've seen so much terrain, but our terrain in the West is off the hook. To think that you can go from Death Valley to, you know, Mount Whitney within such a short distance as the crow flies and the variety of terrain is out of this world. And I wanted a different format. I wanted to make a really interesting competition, but really fun driving, you know, not just just driving straight. It was a it's a cool challenge to do that, but I really wanted it to be more like fun rally driving. And I also just think the Rebella, we call it a triathlon of rally. So there are multiple formats because I want people who do the rebel to come out of that rally and have like really good skills and feel like they can go take on whatever challenge they want to take on. Like in life. Yeah. Yeah. Or other rallies or in life or in work, you know, or they want to go do the gazelle or they want to go do the rally Jamil or they want to, you know, go do the Carta rally. But they have that foundation. And it's fun to listen to the competitors who've done that and see them get that experience. And a special thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at gcioutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. So for our podcast listeners, what are some tips and tricks that they can implement right away to improve their driving skills? Turn off your phone, put your eyes down the road, look through your corners, think about the line you're picking and manage your throttle. You know, really work on being smooth on your throttle and your brake. Stop driving and drive. Put it into manual. You know, unless you're driving a manual, put it in manual mode. Use your gears. Feel your car. Check every button on your car and every light on your dashboard and make sure you understand what it means. You know, get to know your own vehicle. I think that there's a lot people can do even to train for driving off-road better. They can do on the pavement because throttle control, line choice, and eye placement is a fundamental skill whether you're on pavement or whether you have a lower traction situation. Also, you know, classes, there are a lot of great classes. There are a lot of great instructors. People can go on our website and go right to Rebel U to our training page and we have a list of trainers that we know that have great programs all across, you know, the country from uh, the Northeast, Pacific Northwest, Arizona, DC, and California. So join a four-wheel drive club. Start by the simple things. You know, you don't have to take a class to become more present with your vehicle. I always say, too, you're either reinforcing good or you're reinforcing bad. Not anywhere in between, really. So be really present when you're driving. 
I have found throttle control to be one of the most effective means of improving my driving. And I learned that from Rochelle Croft, which she probably learned it from you. I think she did. She said she did. Yeah, it made a huge difference. Treating your vehicle like you're dancing and you want to be nice and smooth instead of kind of blasting over everything. It makes a big difference. It does. I do say that it should be like a dance. And you can also really calm your nerves and by literally a smooth throttle you get into a tense situation in sand dunes if you just smooth out your throttle you'll find like oh i need to calm down and it'll calm my throttle down well if you just calm your throttle down it'll calm your emotions down it's really an important skill do you find that a lot of women say i really want to do the rebel but i'm intimidated by the vehicle or the driving or navigating what do you say what do you say to that because i kind of feel that way i'm like i don't think my driving is good enough to be able to compete or the mornings are super early and i'm afraid <laughs> that i'm not a morning person i'll be like sleeping and we have quite a few women who say, oh, I'm not ready. I need to be better at this. Oh, I want to train longer. But sometimes you don't really even know what you're training for. I just say, like, go to the website, read those skills, rate yourself on a scale of one to five. You know, if you're a a three, you know, dive in, you know, or if you're not a three, go learn those skills and dive in anyway. Rochelle Croft has, has a great statement that I always use, start somewhere. You are probably better than you think. What I hear a lot from women is they really doubt themselves, their skills, or they don't think their skills are as good as I think they are, you know? You know, I see men who have a lot more confidence in their skills. They also don't see a mistake as a failure. And I see women, and this is not all women, it's just I've gotten to coach thousands of people to drive off-road. I stopped counting at about 5,000 people. And so I've seen the differences between men and women when I coach them. Really, it's very interesting to see women make a mistake and they they dwell on it because they feel like it was a failure. But it's really just a chance to learn. You know, we're not supposed to be it's perfect at something we've never done before. Or we've only done a little bit. I know, crazy, huh? If I could get women to just have a little bit more confidence in the skills that they already have, you just self-talk. Tell right. you, you know, tell yourself that, you know, you, you, have, you have the skill or you can learn the skill. But I do find that women tend to be better than they give themselves credit for. In fact, often a lot better. In class, you know, I coached for a lot of years with Rod and we would run about 50 people a week through class. The women, if we had women even show up for class, we'd have 24 people per class, almost always all male. And it was open to men and women, but very few people signed up, even though they had an opportunity through their work to come to class. But the women who did come to class, they'd stand kind of in the back the first day and just listen, not say much, really intimidated often, but then they'd listen really well. And so the second day, their driving skills were great. Everybody in class always loved it when women were in class because they listened well and they followed instruction well and they just wanted to follow the rules, you know? But that's one reason why I wanted to start the Rebel is because I knew that if we opened up class or we opened up Rebel to anyone, we would have a lot of men sign up. I know that because I have usually at least, you know, a couple of men each week call and say, hey, when are you know, you're going to let men compete or when are you going to do a Rebel format for men? And then I knew that 
that maybe one or two teams of women would sign up, just like it is in a lot of motorsport type events. And we wouldn't get anywhere. And so, yeah, women are great drivers and navigators, better than they give themselves credit for. How do you think you switch that in your brain? Because you were talking about positive self-talk or reinforcing that. Like, what goes on in your brain? Because mine, it's always been this way, where if I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, this is an utter failure. On the first try, it's something I've never done. Why is this? Why isn't it perfect? Like, how do you break that cycle? I think I break the cycle by, I love to be coached. I don't expect to be perfect at something right out of the gate. I really like to learn. I think if you can break it down and just say, like, I'm not supposed to be perfect at this. Tell yourself that I'm going to learn more by making some mistakes early. I also find that the ones who make mistakes early are the ones who tend to learn more. If you do it right and you do it perfectly right out of the gate, you think you're really good, but you're going to eventually make that mistake. And sometimes a little more devastating when you make it later, you know, so make it early. But I also think that it's really good to go get coaching and get coaching from someone who's great. I always say, if you want to be okay, learn from okay. You want to be good, learn from good. You want to be great, learn from great. And then ask really honest questions of your performance. Be really honest with your coach about how you learn best and then work through it with a coach. A great coach too will give you positive reinforcement and really when you do something well and clear direction when you don't. And I think that that can help. That's good advice. Yeah, that's really good advice. I'm going to go implement that. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to jump back to Morocco just for a minute. What was your experience in Morocco when you were off of the rally? Because you've spent some time doing various things there. What were the highlights? Highlights. Highlights about Morocco. I I love Morocco. The people are great. The drive there's some really fun trails and terrain. But it's really similar to the Southwest. Very similar. But what I love is the culture. I love the colors. You know, it's very colorful. I love the hospitality. But what I really love is people remember you. So I go back and I can go into the middle of nowhere and people remember you. And also everyone is on like Facebook or WhatsApp. So I'll get, you're in the middle of nowhere and someone is like, hey, you know, like you're my friend on Facebook, you know, like, did you get my message? But it's that going into the middle of nowhere and running into people that have become friends along the way all across the country. When I go to Morocco, I feel like I'm going home is how I would describe it. The other thing is the local people get really excited to see you. They really love America and they always are the first to say that Morocco was the first country to recognize America's independence and they're very proud of that. So they love Americans. You have a big team on the Rebel Rally. You were saying (laughs) I'm proud to be one. It's awesome. How many staff had 113 right and then you have a very supportive husband as well i was really independent i met my husband he was a water safety team when i was running a big production for red bull and you know i met him later in life which is probably good because i really was extremely independent right you know probably good that i didn't get married earlier in life because i was so independent never wanted to you know miss any trip or opportunity which is tough, you know, on a marriage. And, but I met Lair and he is incredible and he's extremely supportive. So he was the one who really encouraged me to start the rebel. I love that. Yeah. He's very patient. 
How much time does he spend on the Rebel Rally or Rebel Rally related oh. thing? Well, he just retired and he was really fortunate. He got to retire, I think, at 53 years old. He's the Marine Safety Captain in Encinitas, California. And he did that for 34 years and, you know, worked super hard, extremely good at what he does. He um, travels a lot, fortunately. You know, he's a great surfer and spear fishing and riding his dirt bike. I think we have a good balance. You know, it's not too much rebel. And we also work to take time away from it. What do you do in your spare time? Do you have spare time? We don't have a lot of spare <laughs> I was going to say. Do, um, we do travel and we surf. What I'm finding is, is I'm having to book it. Yes. Like, okay, book that time and nothing comes in the way of that. So, so you have, he's a big support for you. They always say behind every man is a great woman, which is true, but <laughs> yes. behind every great woman is another great man, I think. Yeah. Tell me about the rest of the team and oh, the, the importance of, the of being a leader and having a big team like that. Like, how do you do that? I think um, when people ask me what my favorite part of the rally is, I say it's getting to work with the staff. Mm. I really wanted to start the Rebel because I had project managed a lot of big events and productions. Always great, always had great teams, but I'd always have people on the team that I couldn't let go of because they were best friends with the CEO or, you know, something where it was maybe a, a toxic person and I could not let them go. I started the rebel and I said, okay, I really want to develop a great team that really is super positive and also is going to, they're going to support these women, that it's not about them. I want world-class people. I want a world-class team, but it can't be about them. It has to be about the competitors. Hmm. And I believe we have that. The other thing that I've learned in the process is I started doing some of the same things I had when I was younger. I would bring in someone and say, hey, this is, you know, this person is going to work on your team because the Rebel is divided into multiple teams with leads and then points of contact within a team. And then I would say, hey, this person is going to work with you. And what I learned in the process is, wow, I'm doing the same thing that happened to me. I can vet people, but then that lead has to make that decision for who is the right person for their sub-team. And in the process, I think we've gotten to a really great place. The interesting thing about our team is there are a lot of really strong personalities, <laughs> especially in our leads, that have different opinions. They have different needs. Like, let's say horse management may be different from scoring, may be different from safety, and some things that they need to accomplish, but they all have to work together. Working over these years, they've worked through things and how to make it all work and remain this really strong, cohesive team, even when they disagree. And that has been really rewarding. And that has really pushed me as a leader. I have definitely grown in the process of really figuring out what is my role? What's my most important role? Because you, know, you can get caught up spend the time. in yeah. the minutia when you have over a hundred people doing the thing. The thing. Yeah. So what did you figure out? My job is to make it very clear what roles are and what the goals and the expectations are and the mission. And then making sure that the leads and everyone is empowered to do their job and that we have the right people and that they are truly empowered to 
do their job. And that is the number one goal. You know, I also have to make sure that everything is legal and safe and funded. But if I do that, then I know that this team will get the job done. And they do. What are you most looking forward to for this year's Rebel Rally? This year, I'm really excited about this year, which is great because it's year seven. And I think it's really great to be on year seven. And I'm this excited going into the rally. What I'm looking forward to right now is I go out and set the course. So I've been working on the course. It takes me about 40 days to lay out the course. And most people don't realize that. And that's not on computers. That's out on the ground. That is a lot of time. It's because we made this crazy format and it's really hard to make it happen. Um, So laying out the course is my favorite part. It's so fun. I get to drive in all these beautiful places. I'm excited for some very special places. So every year we try to have, we think about that course in terms of like, what is that view going to be when they come around the corner? What thing are they going to see that other people don't get to see? What are they going to remember the most? What is that place that's going to be the place that I can't believe we're here? And so we've got several of those this year. Our X checkpoints, we have some tough driving challenges this year. Yeah, you're really thinking about the driver experience, every single route that you lay down. And also from a background perspective, like the photography perspective of what those shots are going to look like with the trucks and with the women too. We do. It's very cool. We do. We think about that. And Jimmy's great at that too. So when we're out laying out the course, we'll come around a corner and be like, ah, you know, this is insane. We have to put a drone right there. Yeah. Know? And then we mark it. And, you know, it's We really do try to think about the whole thing. And I think that's why it takes so many people to have a world-class rally, which is our goal. You can't do that on 10 or 20 people. And it also doesn't really happen on volunteers. We have some great volunteers, but there are very few volunteers on the rally. That's because the rally is long and hard for the staff. I mean, it's long and hard for the competitors, but the competitors, sorry, competitors, kind of have it easy. The staff, we work all day, we work all night, and we're, you know, we're having to move. We're having to get down the road. We say we're having our own rally. You've heard that. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and we are. It is really thought out every single sub it in terms of the experience. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of the electrified designation. So that's the newest designation, right? And how does it all work with electric vehicles and charging? And what do you think the future is? Does the future look like? The Rebel Rally, we've always said, is a proving ground for people, products, and stock manufacturer vehicles. And it doesn't matter how they're powered, you know, whether it's a petrol vehicle, diesel vehicle, or it's an electric electrified vehicle. I really wanted to start the electrified program. And in fact, we were ready to start it, but the manufacturers weren't quite ready. So it launched in 2020. We're going into our third year. We launched with the Rivian R1T and the Mitsubishi plug-in hybrid. So we had a fully electric and a hybrid. This year, we're going to have quite a few vehicles. I think last year we had seven electrified vehicles. The single biggest challenge is not the vehicle. It's how to power them in the middle of nowhere. What happened was, is when we decided to do the electrified program, I started contacting companies to be able to provide the remote power. And there were a number of startup companies. You saw a lot in Silicon Valley, a lot that had just gotten funding. And everybody was telling me, you know, we probably met with like seven different companies 
that they could do it. They could provide, you know, this solution. Honestly, when it came down to it, people would just vaporize because they couldn't. And what most people don't realize is that remote rapid power is extremely hard to do. Because if you plug in, you know, level two charging overnight, it's a slower charge, not that hard to do, but we have to rapid power cars out on course so they can keep going because some of our days are really long. To do that, it takes a tremendous amount of power. We produce about enough power to power about 100 homes just to power the few electric vehicles we have to get down the course. We ended up with a, an incredible company, Renewable Innovations, and Bob Mount, the CEO of that company, is a, just a legend in creating remote rapid power and silent power, whether it's for Department of Defense, Department of Energy. He's also a hydrogen expert. The way to produce power rapidly is through hydrogen, but also it's not that easy to get hydrogen. It's not that easy to transport hydrogen, although it's getting better. They came on board and what was great is they had solution A, B, C, and D. You can imagine if you can't get power to those cars, what are you going to do? Yeah. What if your solution A fails? And so we didn't have companies that had multiple solutions. And to tell you, the truth, it's getting better, but we're still in a state of that same situation. So what do I think is going to happen? Legislation is pushing us toward electrified vehicles quickly. I love driving an electric vehicle. They're fun to drive. Driving, you know, that Rivian is amazing. I'm fortunate I get to drive a lot of electric vehicles and test them out. You know, that Audi e-tron, it's just so fun to drive. Until the infrastructure is there, it's really challenging. Hybrid electric vehicles are great. We've got the G 4xe here. It's so fun to drive when it's in just all electric mode. You know, the torque is incredible. It's quiet. They're great. Having the hybrid is really helpful right now. We need a lot more infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that extends to overlanding as well. We've talked about this before, how the Rebel Rally is like a proving ground potentially for EVs and that transferring over to longer term trips. Yes. And yeah, the infrastructure is needed for both for sure. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see how that develops over the next five years and 10 years down the road for yeah. sure. And we'll watch the Rebel Rally to see, you know, how that's evolving. It's pretty cool because I've seen the vehicles get more out of the battery. So from the time we started, our need to remote power has lessened. We don't have to provide remote power every day because the cars can go farther. So that's encouraging. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more. Of, obviously, we're going to see more of that. We're going to have to see more of that. But it's fun to be at that level, you know, early on to have to research it and learn. It's going to be a very interesting decade, though, because of the mandates. It's 2022 and people are mandating things at 2030. And that's not that far away. No. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, it's coming really fast. So we're here, as I said, at the BC Overland Rally. Uh, as you can probably tell, this is a uh, podcast in the field, um, but I wanted to ask you, you're doing a whole bunch of classes here on all sorts of different things, like what are some of the classes um, like? Navigation classes. So we're doing two mapping classes. One is like basic mapping. The second one is advanced mapping and plotting, which is really interesting. Compass and map skills. We're doing a GPS app class, which is super popular. We're doing a driving course. So yes. we do our chalk talk and then we do the technical driving course. That's a ladies only class, which is really fun. 
fun. Gear selection, and that's not gear of gears of your vehicle. It's the gear you choose, including your vehicle, um, knowing your vehicle. We do some really great kind of in-depth walkthroughs on people's vehicles. So yeah, we're busy. And it's too bad because there's so many great classes. classes. Yeah, I want to go take the classes. Yes, exactly. What is it that you love about events like the BC or Northwest Overland rallies? Love them. It was so great to be back at Northwest because the vibe was so great. What I like about them, they're not sales events. They're really events where people connect, learn about product, talk to experts, take all these classes. But the vibe is so good. You know, everybody is excited. People aren't on their phones. It's not all about your next Instagram photo. I would say that the best thing is the vibe. And you can't replace that. And it has always been the case in the Northwest and the BC and the Rocky Mountain Overland Rallies. And that's why we choose to come here. Because the connections we make here literally last forever. I mean, I've made truly lifelong friends at these rallies. I think the motto is learn something, have fun, make friends. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order, but it it is a book. It's about eight maps that define the world. Ah. And it's so good because it's actually really explaining a lot about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And it's about how our geography defines our history and our geopolitical situation. You know, whether you have oceans around you or mountains to protect you or big plains, you know, like Russia, you know, that's open. It's how it's literally led to wars or countries prospering. It is the most fascinating book. That was really a great one. And then the other one is called The Coddling of the American Mind. Well, it's really about that we need to toughen up. I'll just leave it at that. But it's worth reading. It's very relevant. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Anything we haven't touched on you'd like to share? Just thanks for being a part of the rebel. And, you know, thanks, too, to Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. They have literally supported us since the beginning. You know, Scott Brady, Brian McVickers, the whole team has really been supportive of us. And, you know, it's that kind of encouragement that, you know, keeps you going. When people say, no, you can't do this, you know, just think that it's really important that we get out and push ourselves, you know, and get out and travel. It's been a tough couple of years. I've been really thankful that the rebel has been able to happen. You know, it's not a spectator event, you know, so it's been able to happen. And I think that that was really important. It was really a bright spot, you know, in a, in a really interesting, sometimes dark time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if anybody is interested in you or the rebel rally, where can they find you online? Rebelrally.com. R-E-B-E-L-L-E. So to rebel means to defy convention. And Belle is a beautiful woman. So that's where the name comes from. It's not rebel, it's rebel. So rebelrally.com, everything is there. Information about Rebel Impact. We're not a nonprofit, but we do a lot of giving. Our training programs, everything about the rebel, the rebel rally and our blog. So. Oh, the final point. Yes. This is important. It's not a race. It's, it's a not rally. a race. <laughs> yes. Do not call it a race. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not a race for speed, but it is a, I'd say it's like a moving chess game, but it's about pace and efficiency. Yes. And strategy because of the chess part. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with me, Emily. I super appreciate it. And I thank know you. that the listeners will be really excited to have you on. Thank you so much to the Overland Journal podcast listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.